Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. My friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Pep. How are you today, buddy? Good to be with you. I'm, I'm great. We've had, we've had some time to catch up before we started recording this. and Always a, always a great time. One of my favorite things on Friday is to get together with you and Amy and and just sort of uh, share our lives and what's been going on. And yeah, it's uh, really yeah. time well spent. Yeah. 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 So we are here in season eight of the Being Known podcast. Um, this is our fifth episode of this season, and we've been getting such great feedback. People really seem to be enjoying what we're doing here. And, you know, what we are trying to do this season is put ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty. And um, what we've been doing is almost giving an assignment every week at the end of the episode so that people can be prepared for listening and can engage even more with what we're going to be talking about. And so last week, we told you that this week we would be discussing a film towards the end of the the episode. And that film is Shawshank Redemption, and I cannot wait to talk about it today. (laughs) Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. Well, there's there's so much, uh, and we'll, we'll get to that film eventually. But uh, you know, just a, a word about this uh, today. We're going to talk about how beauty affects memory, how it affects memory, but also what it means for us to uh, how how we are transformed by remembering beauty. And so we're exploring, as we often do, we we often use this framework of the nine domains of integration. Mm-hmm from the world of interpersonal neurobiology as a way to frame our seasons in some way, shape, or form. It's been helpful so far. And today we're really talking about the way that beauty shapes our memory and the way that memory then forms an anticipated future for us that is one of beauty and hope rather than catastrophe and carnage. You know, from the last episode, episode four, um, you know, we can recall that beauty integrates our mind. We, we talk about how it, it, first we sense it, and then we are starting to make sense of it. And that when we allow ourselves to be in the presence of beauty for a long enough period of time, we are assisting it in that process. And then when we decide that we're going to place ourselves with intention before beauty in its oncoming, like we're going to be on the path mm-hmm. of, of its coming to us. We give it an opportunity to uh, reveal things to us. And when that happens, it changes the nature of how we're experiencing not just the beauty that we're encountering, but it changes the nature of our experience of ourselves. And so those kinds of experiences, as they are changed, enables us then to remember things differently. So now we turn to how beauty becomes embedded in us as a function of our capacity to remember. And, you know, we haven't really talked about it in, in on, on this podcast. We haven't talked about memory in these terms before that we're about to talk about it. But we, when we think about memory, we think about two things. We think about how, first of all, memory isn't just a thing that, you know, we're able to do. I remember where I put my keys. I remember vacation from last summer. I remember that movie that I saw. But I remember things primarily as a human. I remember things in order to be able to anticipate and predict the future. I remember how to put my pants on. 
I remember where the grocery store is so that when I drive to it, I will see what it is. I remember where danger is. I remember lo- I remember in order for me to anticipate things. And there are, in the brain, the brain-body-mind matrix, there are generally two tracks. These are, the, the, this, these are, this is my shorthand for this. There are two tracks that our trains of memory, if you will, run on that enable us to inhabit time. We creatures that are humans tell time like no other creatures do. We are able to remember features of our past. I don't just remember where I put things like a squirrel does, but I remember like what the harvest of last season's wheat was like compared to the year before. And I also anticipate a future in ways that animals don't, other animals don't anticipate. And one of those tracks if you will. Track number one is largely what we would call an implicit track. I remember things implicitly. We've talked about this in other episodes, the implicit form of memory. And that implicit remembering pattern is automatic. It involves parts of my brain, like my brain stem, my lower brain, my right hemisphere, my parts of my brain that don't have to do with my intentional need to remember things. I don't have to do it on purpose. I don't have to remember on purpose. I can just do it quite automatically and non-consciously. And as it turns out, for the most part, that's actually quite good. That's a mechanism that we need. I need to know that if like I, you know, if I hear a certain noise, I don't have to think, what is that? Before I discover, oh, that's the noise. That's the sound of a car horn because I've stepped into oncoming traffic, which would not be like stepping into oncoming beauty. Like that would be a very different kind of experience. So a great deal of track one is meant for our safety and protection, our our vigilance. We're looking for danger for reasons that are all really quite good that lead to our flourishing. The problem with track one, the challenge with track one is that it also is the track with which I remember things about my emotional and relational past that have been painful and wounding. And I can do this remembering all by myself. I don't need help from anybody else. I don't have to practice it. If I've had an experience of being humiliated somewhere, if I've had an experience of trauma, if I have an experience of shame, sadness, for which nobody joins me, that will inhabit my memory. And that remembered past will be a past that leads me to anticipate a future of the same kind. And I can do this all by myself. I don't have to have anybody else do this for me. And because it's so effortless, I, the, the language I like to use is that we don't have to purchase a ticket to get on this train. Yeah. We're on it. I don't. We're on it. We are on it by default. And one of the features that is on that train, like uh, like it is, is not on the other, the next track we'll talk about, is the feature of condemnation or shame that often resides on that train. It's kind of the meal that we're served. If we ride on that train long enough, this sense of I, when I remember my past, I, I, I enter into a state of regret in some way, shape or form. I should have done this. I should have done that. If only this had not happened to me, if only that had not happened to me, or I find myself in this place of grief, grief and regret is the only thing that I imagine when I think about my past, when I think about my future, I'm anticipating in a way with a posture of worry or anxiety. That's primarily what I'm doing. So the past of regret and grief, the future of anxiety and worry. But then we have a second track. 
when we when it comes to our embedding or imagining or inhabiting time. And the first thing that we would have to say about this is that it is explicit. It is intentional. It is conscious. I have to get on this train on purpose. I must purchase a ticket on purpose. And as compared to what Huey Lewis in the news sing, right? When they say like the power of love, mm-hmm. don't need no credit card to ride this train. And I want to suggest that like, in fact, you do. In fact, it does not just like show up like spring eventually shows up. I have to do this on purpose. Not only that, it's challenging enough that I need to do it most effectively with other people. I, other people help me do this. We get, we buy a ticket to you and I buy to you, Amy and I, we're going to buy tickets together to get on this train. And this track that we're riding with other passengers is governed by a posture of curiosity rather than condemnation. Shame is not going to be served on this train, but curiosity is going to be served on this train. Now, if we practice this train, if we practice riding this train, what we're going to discover is that when it comes to the past, we're actually more reflective. We're mm-hmm. not regretful. We are reflective. I am with it, but I'm not reflecting by myself. I'm initially doing it with other people. Other people are helping me reflect. Today, you know, we each, before we started to record today, we each had some time for talking about our pasts, things that we've been doing. Right. Things that have not been easy. Right. And I, and in that reflecting time with the two of you, your listening to me helps me be at ease and helps me therefore reimagine the experience of what the past event is really like because you're helping me reimagine, but, but I'm doing so not to just automatically be regretful. I'm doing so for the purpose of being curious about this and what is God up to and how can I hear a different story in order then when we think about the future on track two, we're really talking about planning. I'm going to plan my future. I'm going to, with intention, begin to imagine a different future than the automatic one of anxiety and worry. I, but that takes work. It takes no work at all for me to worry about the future. Right. No work at all. This, I have to plan. And I can't tell you the countless number of times, and this is true for you with and for Amy, for other friends that we have, but with the three of us, I'll just talk about the three of us, the number of times when having named the things about my past, whether it's last week or five years ago. Right that enable me to know that I'm not by myself, that this enables me now to imagine a different future. I can plan to do this. And if we practice purchasing a ticket with others to get on this train on track two, over time, it can begin to feel more automatic, but only because we are purchasing a ticket over and over and over and over again. And this gets, or or else I'm going to default back to track one. That's where I'm going to go. I'm going to inhabit time on track one. But this gets, Pepper, to your, as we talk about remembering beauty and what beauty requires of us, it gets to that fourth W. Yeah. Yeah. At work. Yes. Dude. Yeah. I mean, it's work even to get on the train. This dude train two. I mean, you know, you got Huey Lewis conducting train one. You know, it takes no credit card to get on that one. But train two, you better break out the this black card. 
You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And we we know that our traumas tend to move us pretty quickly from track two, where we want to be, yep. inhabiting time there, to track back to track one. Yeah. We forget beauty, and we're going to talk about this. Yeah, it's like a shame slide. You know, you slide Dude. right back over to that other train. It's because you you know, even yeah. <laughs> And and it's, and you, it, you got well, things to say. Well, it's 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 like you know you you wish that you could get on train two, and just every day just get on it and stay on it all day long, and you know living where you're planning for the future and you're reflecting the past, but inevitably something comes up, inner voice or something, one of these memories that you have, and you're like, no, that's I don't want to I don't want to talk about that one. You're back on the other train. <laughs> just slide right over, right. Right. Why? Why do we have to keep doing that? Right. Right. Well, you know, I I think about you know the story that you uh, you told when when I first heard you tell it about um, going to be present with Van Gogh's The Lilacs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't you don't just walk in and like look at that and say like love that painting. Next. Right. Right. And you know the thing is about that that particular painting, I know the room that that's in. I can conjure that up right now. I know what other mm-hmm. artwork is in that room as I'm walking towards it and I take mm-hmm. my time with the other beautiful mm-hmm. pieces in the room but knowing that this is what I'm here for. This is what I want to mm-hmm. savor and stand in front mm-hmm. of and let it affect mm-hmm. me, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It takes work. It takes work. It takes work to do that. Otherwise, we will forget beauty. We will stop paying attention to it if we are not careful we will stop paying attention to it as a necessity meaning meaning uh, we, we we won't see it as like oh no beauty is necessary for us and we'll start to categorize it as a luxury and it's so easy my wife and i just this morning had a conversation and she said you know i because we're in the midst as we're recording this we're in the midst of autumn i mean it's the trees mm-hmm. are are beautiful right now and it's mm-hmm. you know it's gorgeous mm-hmm. Um, but Nell said to me this morning, she said, you know, I've got to slow down because I'm missing it. She's like, I'm missing the beauty of autumn because I'm, I'm just going, 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 going. So, and you know, you've got so many distractions and everything else. And, and so we're purposely, you know, we had this conversation this morning and we're purposely setting some things down that are taking our attention so that we can be experiencing the beauty that's happening right outside our door, right outside, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, mm-hmm. and it's right there. And yet we're on the wrong train and we're not, you know, we're not paying attention to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, as we record this here in mid to late October of 2023, I'm aware of, you know, what's happening in the Middle sure. East. And if you pick up the Washington Post this morning, as I did, there, I think, I, 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 if I'm, if I'm, re, if I'm recounting correctly, I don't think there's a single story on the entire front page, above or below the fold, yeah. that would acknowledge that there's anything beautiful in the world. Right. It is all on track one. Hmm. It's all on track one. It's a reactive expression of anxiety and worry. And 
I, this is, this is what happens when we are not willing to do the hard work of allowing ourselves to slow down. It's not as if, you know, God is waiting for us to do something in order for him to show up. He's like, he's waiting, right? Beauty is waiting for us. But at the same time, I mean, there, I, I think, you know, it's not unlike Genesis chapter three, when, uh, after, you know, there's been the fruit fest and then God comes walking, right? Beauty is coming in the cool of the day, in the afternoon. And the woman and the man are hiding because our trauma, not only uh, does it mess with our time travel, does it mess with how we inhabit time, but it also shatters the posture with which we see beauty. So now beauty, instead of being our comfort and our convictor and our recommissioner, now beauty becomes our enemy. It becomes the thing that we're terrified of. We fear it without knowing it. Because we know that when beauty comes, if we, if we sit with it long enough, we know this in the pit of our soul, but we're so terrified of it that beauty is going to search us. If we, allow to, if we allow ourselves to be with it long enough and shed light not just on our joys and our longings, but it will also begin to touch our griefs from which we are often hiding. And this is because beauty does not just present itself as a beautiful thing. Oh, isn't this wonderful? If we sit with all be- any beauty, we'll eventually find our wounds. It will search our memory to find our wounds. And so for those reasons, we will all, as much as we want it, we will avoid it without knowing that that's what we want to do. And it, just like hope, potentially becomes a dangerous thing Mm. because it will start to like, you know, if I'm, if I'm with beauty long enough, it starts to, you know, open up the doors and windows in my house, in the house of my soul, where there are things that are still yet so disappointing, so broken, so ruptured. Uh, And I've worked really hard to not pay attention to that anymore. And I don't ever want to go back into that room because how dare you tempt me to long for that rupture to be repaired when I've practiced believing that it can't be, whether it's my marriage or with my kids on substance abuse or, you know, my parents or my work or my, my, my physical, my, my medical malady, whatever the suffering is. But we then see the beauty has an intention of healing. It doesn't just have an intention of just being there like it it its intention is to like behold i am the god who heals you this is god speaking to the children of israel in in the book of exodus the i am the god who heals you but i'm also the god who is hovering and present as a way to do this beauty does not come and start slapping us around now it might if i'm not paying attention to it right if i'm you know i have this book called uh, <laughs> Oh, gosh. It's called uh, Death in Grand Canyon. Lovely. And it's, and it's basically an anthology of the number of different ways that people die in the Grand Canyon. Now, of course, there's the number one way in which people die, which is through exposure in some way, shape, or form, which is like they die because they go off hiking or whatever, and they you know, they don't take enough water or salt products with them or whatever. But also, they, they just get lost. 
right? And then they're just exposed and, and, and they're found later. But then there are other, you know, like people who decide they're going to look through their camera viewfinder and walk toward the edge of the South Rim. Right. Uh, while they're walking or people who are going to like take their bicycles and they're going to, how, how close to the edge of the rim can I get before I, right. I mean, people, people do. Yeah. Right. So, so, so beauty, you know, we're not going to argue with it and it, and it makes no apologies, but this, this is, it, it's patient and it does. So it doesn't commit violence toward us ever. But there are things that we do that are violent often in response to it. We see beauty, we can't tolerate it. We, we don't know how to interact with it. And so we, we come to it as immature toddlers and ride our bicycles off the edge. Or we, you know, here, let, I'm gonna take a selfie. I'm just gonna keep backing up because I'm actually not taking it nearly as seriously as we need to take it. But we find that beauty is not urgent. It is patient. It, like the children of Israel in Exodus 14, they get to the Red Sea and it's like, it's not going anywhere. And here comes Pharaoh and the army and they're like, crap. And, and they start grumbling to Moses. What have you done? You know, like three days ago, they were all happy to get up and go. And now they're like, what the heck? And so it is patient and it exposes our anxieties. But then it also makes a way through the sea. Also in Exodus 14, this wind comes. But it's interesting the way the wind, the wind did not come. Like we, we would be like, oh, we, we had this idea that like when, if, if, you, if you were to ask most people, well, so if you were to imagine, what does Exodus 14 tell us about how long it took for God to part the sea? They say, well, doesn't he just like snap his fingers and, or at least, you know, Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments right. and it just like, boom, it just goes. And it's like, it takes all of about maybe 45 seconds. And yet the text reads that a strong east wind blew throughout the night while the pillar of fire stood between Pharaoh and the Israelites. And I don't like beauty to take this long. I don't want the presence of someone else gazing upon my carnage to see beauty come forth. Like I want it done. But the beauty of God is uh, so serious about being so thorough that he's going to take as long as it takes. And it took time to make a way through the sea. But once we get through the sea, also, like we see in Exodus 14 and 15, that once they get through, they remember it, right? Moses and his sister sang and wrote poetry reminding them. So when we remember beauty on purpose and celebrate it, we recall it then at other times when we find ourselves in other places of ugliness. We see that beauty does not keep us from grief or suffering, but rather it is with us in our grief and our suffering, but not without our cooperation, not without our cooperation. Being with us enables us to be less anxious and more hopeful and thereby more able to be creative, even in the face of disintegrating circumstances, which we're going to get to here in just a moment. Yeah. And it provides healing as a function of pointing us, Jesus. And it's Jesus' intention for us to become the beauty on which we're meditating. 
You know, you all may have heard, Pepper and I took a trip to El Salvador, and we have so much to share with you. In fact, in a future episode this season, Amy will interview Pepper and me about our trip. Pep, you remember Vanessa, the mother of the two little babies? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, we went to her house. Vanessa is a mother of four, two of which are twin babies. You know, we witnessed Vanessa and her husband going to great, and I, I mean great, lengths to provide for their family. And the thing that I realized, you know, in the moment is they have the very same dreams and hopes for their kids as we have for ours. And what we discovered was that with the support of a compassion sponsorship, it's possible for those dreams to be realized. You know, Phyllis and I have supported Compassion International for years, and we're so aware of the amazing work that they do. And one of the unique features about Compassion is that they work with the local church. And what I love about this is that when help arrives, it arrives with a familiar face. We witnessed this impact firsthand in the way families experienced feeling seen, soothed, safe, and secure. You know, we saw the need firsthand in El Salvador. Consequently, we are centering our efforts there. However, should you feel a call to sponsor a child in another part of the world, you'll have that option as well. We as a community get to be part of this mission. We invite you to join us by sponsoring a child. $43 a month provides a child with all their basic needs and hope for a brighter future. Go to Compassion.com forward slash known. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M forward slash K-N-O-W-N. And remember, $43 a month will literally change a child's life. Join us. This whole notion of beauty speaking to our trauma with intention, it's not, it's not just in the room. It just happens to be in the room like the chair is in the room, like the Rothko to my left here is in the room. It's in the room waiting for my cooperation such that with intention, the places where my woundedness uh, is unfinished business, it begins to come out into the room in order for it to be retold, a story that's told differently. And this takes extraordinary work, which leads us to our artistic offering for the day. Yes. You know, it's so incredible. Just the things that you've been talking about here have conjured up, you know, so much that happens in this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. The idea of hope being a dangerous thing. The idea of beauty has an intention, you know, the idea of remembering moments of beauty where we find ourselves in the ugly. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me just start by, I hope that you, our listeners, have watched the movie this week. If you haven't, maybe you can press pause now and and go find a way to watch it before you listen to the rest of this. I I had the opportunity to rewatch the movie this week. I haven't seen it in years. Mm -hmm. It is for sure one of my favorite movies, a top five Mm -hmm. movies of all time. And it's, it makes that, has that distinction for a lot of people. Just a little bit of background, it was directed by Frank Darabont, 1994, and it is based on, and I'm sure you know this, it is based on a novella or a short story novella that Stephen King wrote called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. The interesting thing to me is, even though this movie is on everybody's list or on so many people's lists as being one of their most favorite movies, it did not win an Oscar in any category. Um, stunning. It was stunning. up against, do you know what it was up against that year? 
I forget. Uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump won (laughs) everything. And there's nothing wrong with Forrest Gump. I mean, you know, it, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't impact me as much as this movie does um, for, for whatever reason. But I think it was, it was great, but it didn't win one thing. Um, And Tim Robbins was not nominated. Morgan Freeman was for best actor, but Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks won that distinction. It would have been weird because you would have had to have put Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman up because they both were equally, you know, there wasn't a, 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 a supporting actor. They were both leads in this movie. So there, there are so many things in this movie, so many things that stand out to me, so many quotes. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I guess it comes down to simple choice, really. Get busy living or get busy dying. And literally, Red says, as you said before, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. So I, I want to hear from you what, what if there's any one or two things that really stand out to you about the movie. I'll share mine. Two mm-hmm. things. The one is all based around Andy locking himself in the, 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 the room and playing the opera uh, mm-hmm. and putting it on the PA system and bringing mm-hmm. beauty into that place mm. and mm. knowing that he's going to pay a major, major price for doing this. Mm. Like, mm. you know, time in the hole, mm. a lot of time mm-hmm. and get beaten and everything else. But mm-hmm. he, it, and music to him, as we find in a conversation that he then has when he gets out of solitary, he has this conversation with red and music to him is hope. And he says, I can, I, I, I can keep it here. He points to his head, and here he points to his heart. And he said, and nobody can take that away from me. And that's when Red's like, what are you talking about? And he says, you know, this is hope. And he's like, hope is, that's when Red says, hope is a dangerous thing, right? And he doesn't just say it. He doesn't just say it. He gets up angrily yes. from, the, from the dining table. Yes, yes. And so, and so then what, what then goes on to, to happen, that I noticed in this, in this last, so as a, a scene later on, or he asks him. Do you, Red Red tells him he, play, he had played the viol or the uh, harmonica in his past, and and he he goes and gets Red a, a harmonica later on in the movie, and he gives it to him, and you know that music is representative of hope. And Red can't have hope. He can't. He can't survive with hope. It's too dangerous. So he he takes it to his. He says thank you. He says you're going to play it. He says not right now. And he puts it down. And then he goes back to his cell that night. And you see him thinking about it. He opens it up, he pulls it out, and he's gonna, he almost puts it to his lips, but he just can't do it. Mm. So then, mm. and, you know, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> so then Andy escapes, but before he escapes, he tells Red, you know, go to this field, right? <laughs> and go to this, this, this wheat field. At, and you'll see the you'll see a long wall leading up to a giant oak tree, and that's where Andy pr- had proposed to his wife. And he said, underneath a a lava rock that doesn't belong there, I'm I'm leaving something there for you. And he says, what is it? And he's like, you'll 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 know it when you you when you get it, basically. So then we cut to Red making this trek after he gets out, making this trek. He gets to, finds the field, he finds the wall, he looks up, he sees the tree, and the soundtrack starts playing. And what what instrument is it? A harmonica. 
the only time in the whole movie that we hear a harmonica because he now is going after his hope. He's now, he's now allowing himself to be hopeful. And um, that to me is just, I mean, <laughs> it's beautiful cinema. It's beautiful filmmaking and storytelling. And, and then I would say the other part of the story that really impacts me is, I mean, there's so many, I mean, just so many things that come through, but, but Brooksy's story, you know, uh, uh, played by James Whitmore. Um, I was fortunate enough, uh, Jimmy Whitmore, James' son is a director out in California and out in Hollywood. And I was fortunate to work with him, um, on a project and he just looks just like his dad and just a great guy with great stories and a really, really good director. So the idea of being institutionalized, the idea of he lived in that place for so long that he had no, he couldn't live in the real world. He couldn't, he couldn't do it. And couldn't tolerate he it. couldn't tolerate, he couldn't tolerate it. And, you know, his, his character and his character's story is really, I think, super impactful too. Just, just great. Yeah. So I would love to yeah. hear if there, if you have any, anything that, that, uh, how this, how this movie impacts you. Well, I think, I think for me, you're you're right and i think for me it's not just having seen it but it's having seen it multiple times right that it, it's kind of like going to listening to a symphony multiple times like yep. i mean it's not just oh the, the the movie on its own stands on its own as a beautiful piece of work which are which it is but it's also the relationship that i feel like i have with the movie and the way the movie is impacting me over time yes i remember I don't know what, maybe the third, fourth time or whatever that I'd seen the movie. And, you know, one of the, th one of the things that, one of the things that really captured me was, you know, Tim Robbins character comes into this space of trauma mm -hmm. that is, you know, you know, the, the, the penitentiary is, is a placeholder for all that is awful about the world. It, it's just, it's, it's the icon for all that is awful about the world. But Robin's character does not come into that space as a blank slate. He comes into a place of trauma having already been formed. You don't know that until some of these moments show up where he behaves the way that he behaves in response to the trauma that he sustains, yeah. the traumas that he yeah. sustains, the comment, the conversation that he has at, you know, at, at the, you know, at the, at the table mm -hmm. about, about hope is a dangerous yeah. thing. He like, he's, that isn't a thing that, that just, that, that just happened to him while he's been in prison. This is already something that's being formed. And, you know, it's, we're not, uh, you know, we have plans at some point down the line for talking about the the deepest place that the new book this yep. this notion of of suffering and in that book we're going to explore how when paul talks about suffering he doesn't just start by talking about suffering suffering sits in 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 the romans 5 passage it sits in the middle of something and it's the suffering is preceded by something we'll get to all that but i i think of that like robin's character is preceded by the time he gets the penitentiary it's preceded by these experiences that he's had in his in his life in his marriage there's there's goodness and beauty all the details of which we don't see but we only come to see it as it emerges in the face of what we of of great suffering of of great trauma 
So that's, that's one thing that strikes me is that he's been formed already. Another thing this time around that, that I'm, I'm just really meditating on is there is the common enemy to everyone, which is the senior, uh, the, uh, the senior guard. Yeah. yeah. What a yeah. character. I mean, it just, uh, and I, I, I'm blanking on the actor's I name. I can't, I, yeah, um, yeah. But he is the physical embodiment. I mean, you know, he, in his, in his suit, in, in his uniform, he is a, his, he's clean cut. He is all business. And at the same time, he is evil incarnate. Yep. And he makes no distinction among the prisoners everybody is going to be treated the same way in order to make his life easier. That's, that's all that matters yep. to him. And Robin's character also brings something else into this space, which is Robin's actually has a gift. Yep. And that's the gift of being an accountant. Yep. And like this dude knows stuff. And in his way of being helpful for the guard in a, I'm not, you know, in the, in the way that, you know, the movie reveals, he sh he's actually showing kindness to the guard. Now, granted, it, it you know, Robin's character isn't stupid. Like, he knows that this is probably going to help his cause. Well, yeah, he, when he, the first time he offers to help, it's Brian DeLate, by the way. And the first time he offers to help him, if you remember, they're on the roof, tarring the roof. And, and yep. he goes over, right over to the guard, because he's talking about he's going to, He's got this inheritance and he's going to have to pay all these taxes. And he goes right over to him and the guard's going to throw him off the roof for approaching him. And he starts saying, wait, I can help you. I can help. And he's, so he says, well, what do you, you know, basically he says, all I want in return is two beers for each one of my, my friends here. He didn't even, he doesn't, he didn't drink himself. If you recall, he just sat yeah, and right. watched them all be, have the opportunity to feel human for right. 10 exactly. minutes at the end of their day. Yeah. Exactly. And in some respects, like the beer yeah. is like the on-ramp to the music. Yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the on-ramp. It's the, his and, first. And then the library, right, is another on-ramp. I mean, just there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you're, as you're even saying this, I'm thinking about things that I hadn't thought about. This, what, what Robbins brings into the environment with him. This grace and dignity that he's able to hold on to in the in the worst of circumstances, right? And this hope that he's able to hold on to, and how he's able to share it and shed this light, you know, to to other people that have none. Uh, you know, <laughs> this movie is just incredible. Right. right. Yeah. 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 And I would say that this is an example. You know, at the end of the story, I mean, this this is a redemption sure story. Sure. Ergo. Yes. Hence the name. Um, yeah, and and I and I and I think it is also exemplary of what what it means to live in the real world. Mm. That you know, it's possible that a system like that could have been perceived by the government. Somebody comes in to kind of do a survey and a once-over of, oh, how are things here in the prison? And there's some top-down, you know, just kind of, we're saying like, oh, we're going to throw out all the bad guys and, you know, we're going to have some top-down reconstruction of a really bad situation. I guess that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a bad thing to do, right? We want justice to be done. And yet, 
there is something to be said about justice, which we would say is the social expression of beauty. Hmm. About justice being done from within the very heart of evil itself. It's not being forced from the outside. It is coming up from within and you see the change of heart in the guard. Now he becomes like super protective of Robin's character. You see the change in the heart of the guard. You see the change in the heart of Morgan Freeman's character. You see the change in the heart of others who start to, and you eventually see that beauty also becomes the judge wherein which it becomes a judge, but not without paying a price. Robin's character doesn't come in as some hero and, you know, you know, fix things without nary a blemish. There was a price that he had to pay. Big price. And it was awful in, I mean, several prices he paid on the way to this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that along those lines, the last thing that that I want to say about this is I really appreciate, and I think we've talked about this before, I really appreciated Frank Darabont's restraint, mm-hmm. especially when it oh. came to yeah, the violence so being, you know, put on Andy Andy's character. Mm-hmm. You knew what was happening. You knew the menace. Mm-hmm. You knew you knew what was happening. But he had the restraint to pan the camera away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's something so powerful about that to me that. Mm-hmm. It allows the imagination mm-hmm. to do some work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It also, there's not one iota of gratuitousness in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. very streamlined when it comes to the, what you see on the screen. And, you know, I, I think that there's, he, he put sort of some restraint and parameters on, on the movie. And mm-hmm. to me, that those are two qualities that really lend themselves to creativity. And right. yeah. Well, I mean, in, in some respects, what, what you are naming is that beauty is boundary. Yes. Yes. It is boundary. You have a piece of music and it doesn't just go on forever, right? There, there comes to an end and we don't, we don't necessarily always like the end. But there comes to an end, you know, when you're listening to the radio and there are those, songs that you know they just kind of like have the end that just kind of like fades into the end like because we don't really want to let it go but like that's not the way the real world is like we have to come to an end to things and boundary it does require us to do work because we're on the other side of that boundary right us to do work and so when he creates this film in such a way that he boundaries Mm -hmm. the trauma Mm -hmm. he's actually also like a good parent He's inviting the viewer into a space that is really hard, but that does not overwhelm the viewer, yeah. but allows me to like have to have to yep. really contend with yep. that instead of the artistic piece being completely responsible for all the what's happening. And, and here's the other thing. When we watch gratuitous violence over and over and over and over again, it stops having any impact on us. Right. Right. And, and you can't feel right. So, so it's like, it's like a performance I, when I've directed people on, if, if there's a, if there's an emotional character or emotional part and the actor wants to just really let this, let the tears flow, you know, 
I'm always like, no, hold it until you can't hold it anymore. Because if you're crying the whole time, they don't have to feel it because you're feeling it for them. Mm -hmm. But if you are holding it back and holding it back, the audience is going to feel it so much more, so much more than if you Mm -hmm. just... And like this with the with the violence, if you just mm-hmm. if if we were just exposed to it the whole time, and I know we're 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 running out of time now, um, but this was anyway. This was. Yeah. I just want to say this this one last thing. When it comes to memory, yes. When it comes to yeah. memory, part of what is crucially important about our practicing being on track two has to do with our willingness to hold things, yeah, in community with others. And it reminds me of when we are doing work in confessional communities and we get to spaces where, oh, we get to the end of our 90 minutes of our time and somebody's going to have to hold something. They don't just get to like, just continue to say it or feel, and I I can't do that if I don't have a community with whom I am knowing that I'm not holding this just by myself. I'm doing this with others. And this is what beauty invites us to do. Beauty is not just inviting to our listeners. Beauty is not just inviting each of you as individuals to encounter it. It's sending the message that beauty is to be encountered in the context of community. And it's in that community that we not only encounter beauty, but we begin to see it in each other, even in the places like in the Shawshank Redemption where we would least imagine it emerging. Well said. Thank you for that. Thank you. This has been just really great, great time well spent. Thank you so much. The whole day. Really appreciate it. So this week, we have a little assignment for you. So uh, as you prepare for next week's episode, we would love for you to take the time to listen to Gustav Holt's Jupiter Behringer of Jollity. This is an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous piece. I've listened to it several times this week, and it has been a great way to put myself in the path of oncoming beauty, and I'm excited for you all to have the opportunity to do that, and I'm excited to talk about it next week. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube, stick around because Amy's joining us right now. Thanks, Kurt. Love you. Love you, man. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos... Each week, we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.